Our performance review series continues here today on Locked on Dolphins. A look at the tight end room, which the Dolphins need to inspect closely as they continue to try to unlock new levels to their offense in 2024. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It is your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, co-host of Locked On NFL Scouting. The finer shows on YouTube are wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Tip of the cap to our everydayers. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Our performance review series is uh, kind of a 30,000 foot view simultaneously getting microscopic with the key players from each respective position group. And we've done the offensive line. We've done the head coach. We've done the general manager. We've done the wide receivers. Now we're on to the tight ends, uh, which is a smaller group. And it's going to include fullback Alec Ingold as well, because his usage uh, mirrors more of the tight ends than it does the running backs in this scheme when you consider the speed that's required uh, for where the Dolphins hit their runs and uh, from a protection standpoint and flipping formational strength with all the motions and, and uh, the tight end, there's some overlap there, which makes sense uh, to me to put Alec Ingold in this group along with the two primary players, uh, Julian Hill and Durham Smythe. Tyler Croft was also on the roster this year. Uh, but was really a negligible performer relative to uh, a UDFA rookie in Julian Hill, Durham Smythe, who's been a tenured player here for quite some time, and Alec Engel. So when I think about that core group of three players, I think the first thing that stands out to me is you've got a nucleus of players that are kind of locked in. Uh, The Dolphins gave Alec Engel a contract extension at the start of the season in late August. Durham Smythe got a contract extension uh, seemingly got one, one every year for like three years running, but he's under contract through, through 2025. So Ingold and Smythe are your volume snap takers in general. And they are both locked in for not just 2024, but also 2025. So when you talk about the evolution of this group, I do think it bears keeping in mind There's stability here if they want it. And Julian Hill, as a UDFA rookie, they have three more years of player control on Julian Hill as an undrafted free agent. So he is like rookie minimum performance contract in 2024 and 2025. And then they have an exclusive rights. uh, He's an exclusive rights free agent where they could then place a tender on him that's non-negotiable or could be negotiable depending on how they choose to handle it. and bring him back in 2026. So these three guys have a chance to be amidst all of the flux and the expiring contracts and the pillars within a certain room and the the rest of it you have to completely remake or or decide who you want to bring back. Uh, This is not a group that has that dynamic going for them. What they also have going for them is a heavy, heavy dose of Durham Smythe. Durham Smythe set career highs in receptions, targets, and yards in spite of the Uh, focus on the lack of impact that the tight end room has. And I certainly think it's something that moving forward, the Dolphins are going to want to be different. 
Uh, it's pretty eye-opening when you you look across the league in 2023. No team targeted their tight ends less with a percentage their their target volume than the Miami Dolphins did. Nine uh, percent of their targets this season in the passing game went to the tight end position, and that does not include Alec Ingle. Then you have teams like Atlanta, Arizona with Trey McBride and Minnesota with TJ Hawkinson and the chiefs with their uh, collection of Kelsey. And then a couple of guys behind him that I could actually play at a pretty high level. And the Browns with David and Joku and Evan Ingram with the, the Jaguars and Sam Laporta with the lions and the bills with Knox and their first round pick Dalton Kincaid. These are 23, 27, 32, 34% of your volume. And, you know, for Miami to be as top heavy as they are, with their, their wide receiver group, 67% of their targets is the third highest percent in the league. Now, where they, they kind of do catch up is their seventh in running back targets. So that does worth bearing in mind as far as the target distribution. But Durham Smythe, uh, his career highs include 35 receptions, which is a career high by one versus 2021. Uh, 330, 366 yards, which is a career high by nine yards. Um. And they, well, the one thing I can tell you is from a snap perspective, the Dolphins got their money's worth from Durham Smythe. He played 785 snaps offensively. It's a top five figure on the offensive unit, plus 128 special team snaps. So he played over 900 total snaps this year for a $4 million contract. That's a, that's a pretty good value, uh, even though the receiving volume isn't necessarily there. And I'll, I'll say this for Durham Smythe. I have not at least through probably 2021 been a huge fan, but he, he has evolved his game to some degree, which I give him a lot of credit for. And he's talked about that. He talked about that in training camp last year coming into the league and your strength as a, as a player being your blocking and effectively having to go back to square one and rebuild that foundationally all the way back up again and learn how to do it at a high level in the league. And that was a learning curve and it took several years. Durham Smite's a good blocking tight end. You know, if you'd if you'd asked me two years ago, I said this this is probably a player who um, I wouldn't have been keen on a contract extension. Credit to the Dolphins for staying with him. Um, the ceiling is low as far as the passing game goes, but you saw what a high ceiling player at the tight end position in this offense looks like with Mike Gesicki anyway. So there's a, this whole bigger conversation about athleticism. Ideally, you find a guy who can do it all. What we know is Durham Smythe is not a do-it-all type of player. I think he's a sufficient-level athlete. But he's a good inline blocker who's smart and can handle a lot of the movement responsibilities that come with being a piece of this offense. So that foundationally is, ideally, this is your tight end two. He's in a role as the tight end one, 76% of the offensive snaps. He did miss a game this year. Uh, and, and he played through an, a lower body, this is even an ankle injury um, that you could tell was hurting him in the middle of the season, and, and he was able to continue to roll through it and kind of maintain a pretty significant volume of snaps. So uh, Durham is, I think, a piece that the Dolphins should feel really good about, especially when you consider uh, their first down uh, personnel groupings. Uh, they love to have two backs on the field and one tight end. 
this being primarily Durham Smythe. So you have presumably Alec Ingold and Durham Smythe, some overlap there with some ambiguity. Uh, they, they were in 21 personnel on first down 48% of the time in 2023. That was the highest figure in the league. Uh, the next closest was San Francisco with 42, and then Baltimore at 31. That's some good company to be in as far as your personnel groupings and the challenges that they can create. Now, there's we've gone through some of the other individual position groups across the offense so far that I think you understand where the weaknesses are that can help make this a more sustainable and, and even stronger personnel grouping for Miami. But Smythe is uh, not a great separator, but he is that traditional – find soft spaces against zone coverage, uh, tough catches, will use his body, shield the ball, uh, make, make sure he's uh, protecting his quarterback when his quarterback is throwing to a spot. Uh, some of the, the seam releases seem like they've been where, where Durham has had his biggest impact when you're running that RPO and the Dolphins have gotten more and more diverse as far as that glance wheel flat RPO concept and they haven't they didn't spam it this year like they spammed it last year uh, but Durham getting some of those glance or seam targets depending on their personnel groupings when they chose to come out of that were where he really uh, made his biggest impact which makes sense because that concept it isn't it doesn't feel like it's defined routes and I know JT Sullivan of the QB school has gone into this uh, when he's done Dolphins offensive tape but it's, it's finding and feeling voids in space. And that, I think, is Durham Smythe, the side of his hands, his, his most appealing uh, quality as a receiver is feeling space and then protecting the ball with his body uh, to make sure that you have high percentage targets when you do throw at him, which is evidenced by the fact that he caught 81% of his targets uh, this past season. His, th- his four-year trend there, really, uh, since 2020, 89% of his targets, he was targeted 29 times. Uh, 41 targets in 2021, he caught 83%. Last year was targeted 20 times and was targeted and caught 75% of those targets. Obviously, receiving numbers way down. And then this year, 43 targets, more than double the targets in McDaniel's offense in year two. And he caught a higher percentage of the targets at 81%. So uh, some marginal growth here, but I do think there's a cap on Durham Smythe that the Dolphins probably, if they're being honest when they talk about it, uh, they come away from and understand there's meat on the bone in this regard. The question is, how important is that relative to all of the other areas of improvement and needs within the offense? Some of that discussion may pivot to Julian Hill, and that's what we're going to talk about next year on this episode of Locked on Dolphins, so stick with us. The NFL postseason is uh, at its critical mass. We're in the conference championships this upcoming weekend, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets. Win or lose, the app is super easy to use. There are a ton of different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. You can find bets in the Explore tab, or you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. 
Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So Julian Hill. Let's talk a little bit about Julian Hill, who uh, was one of the surprises of training camp uh, and making the original 53-man roster for the Dolphins as an undrafted free agent out of Campbell University. Julian Hill uh, does have some elements to his game that I think you could see manifest if given more time. And he was given a reasonable amount of snaps. He played 343% or 343 snaps, excuse me. That's 35% uh, in the 15 games that he dressed this season, plus an additional 91 snaps on special teams. So you're, you're talking almost 450 snaps in total this season for Julian Hill. What that evolution looks like, I'm fascinated to know because while Durham Smythe had this vast menu of alignments and motions and responsibilities, Julian Hill was more of a complimentary player. He obviously, as a rookie, had a little bit more of a vanilla set of responsibilities. He was targeted nine times. He caught six of the nine targets for 48 yards uh, and had two first downs. His average depth of target was three yards downfield. This was primarily a check down or flat type player uh, who gets popped uh, quickly when he looks to get his eyes up after the catch. Um because it's just an underneath route to a longer developing, like late progression throw. I know we did try to throw him one. Was it a two point conversion? We tried to throw him a fade in the end zone. Mike McDaniel just couldn't help himself and uh, didn't get results there. But Julian Hill, it is important to circle back to the athletic profile as compared to Durham Smythe, because I, I think there's a ceiling that Julian Hill I don't know that I would just not hedge at all, but it is worth acknowledging there's more here as compared to Durham Smythe, who's six foot three, uh, 253 pounds. And when he came through the NFL combine in 2018, he ran a 481. He had a 31 inch vertical jump. He had a broad jump of nine, two. They're sufficient numbers for the time in his tight end position, but you compare them and contrast them to, to Julian Hill. Uh, Julian Hill was six foot three and a half, 247 pounds. So a little shorter, uh, just a, a touch lighter, a few pounds lighter, six pounds lighter. But he ran a four, six, eight, and he had 10 yard split of a one, six, five. Uh, that's a good number for a 250 pound athlete. He put up 21 bench press reps. With 33 inch arms, his arms, so his lungs are his arms are a full inch and a quarter longer than Durham Smythe. He's got a 34 and a half inch vertical jump as compared to a 31 inch jump from Durham Smythe. And if you're not familiar with these numbers, and I, I know him pretty well because of my background with, with draft scouting, it's a significant difference. His standing broad jump was a foot longer. That's a massive difference from a standing broad jump perspective. So you take some of that extra explosiveness that Julian Hill has and you say, okay, there's three years of player control here left for the team at minimum salary. 
because it's UDFA. You got 400 plus snaps on the team next this year. If you're going to add to the tight end room, do you add try to add an upgrade over a high floor player like a Durham Smythe, or do you try to add a high ceiling player? to compete with Julian Hill as Julian Hill continues to grow and evolve his game. Uh, I'd say Julian Hill had a lot of gusto for contact and and for being a more dynamic and athletic player. uh, I do think he's still kind of raw in the blocking elements. There's, There's big collisions. There's good aggressiveness. There's a lot of pop through first contact, but sustaining blocks and framing blocks and how you use your hands to get attached on the blocks and how you activate your feet to stay engaged in blocks, that's something for Julian that he's only going to get better at. And as he does, I think they have something real here. And you saw the potential when you watched the film at Campbell. The question was just, okay, play to Campbell. Like how big and steep of a jumping competition is that going to be? And then how hard of a transition is that going to be for Julian Hill? And to his credit, he took it relatively in stride. Is there room for growth? Yeah, but this is no longer a yeah, but he played at Campbell. This is, well, he's a small school player who played a rookie season and played meaningful snaps for the Dolphins. So I I think there's more uh, athletic ups. I don't think it's a coincidence that you get into a situation late in the year where you're going to throw a target, uh, a red zone target in a congested area to a tight end and you call it to go to Julian Hill as compared to the guy who played 900 snaps this season between special teams and offense and and 76% of your offensive snaps in the games that he dressed it. It's not a coincidence that this guy gets the call. The question is all of the little things and how quickly can they grow, but based on Hill and how he's handled his responsibility to this point, I am pretty inclined to believe this is somebody who can make the leap. He's giving you more now already in my mind than what the previous pet project was at this position group, which was Tanner Connor. Tanner Connor, if you remember, was a uh, wide receiver from Idaho State who signed as UDFA from the Dolphins in, for the Dolphins in 2022 and kind of got a little bit of run l- with primarily on special teams. I think he only took like 20 snaps offensively at 25 snaps in 2022, but played 152 special team snaps. Cause he's like a super height, weight, speed type guy. And then he put on a bunch of weight this off season and he got passed by Julian Hill. Connor was a practice squad guy who got elevated three times, played 20 snaps on offense and 35 snaps on special teams. He got three targets as a rookie and has did, did, got no looks at all. So they seem to be committed to trying to unearth this gem of a player. And I think Julian Hill's given you enough from a workload perspective, from a uh, physicality perspective at the tight end position to think there's something here. But is it enough for me where I would take the investment opportunities at tight end completely off the table? No. Because the, if, if, if you're looking to unlock the next level of impact for the group, I do think you're missing the element of somebody who you you don't have to run your passing offense through it, 
But in the very similar way that we talked about Cedric Wilson and Braxton Berrios as the two missing bridge players between the elite targets in the passing games and everybody else, you have to raise that floor in the passing game as well. Maybe it comes from Julian Hill. Maybe there's not a great opportunity, investment opportunity, and it has to be Julian Hill or it's not going to happen at tight end this year. One player who you could potentially find some more work with as well, although maybe not down the field type work, although we've seen the Dolphins come out and target this man on a wheel deep down the field, is Alec Ingle. That's our next subject here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins, so stick with us. Today's episode of Locked on Dolphins is sponsored by GameTime. GameTime is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. They give you the view from your seats before you buy. You can see all-in prices up front so you know what your total is going to be before you go to check out. And you can buy tickets in seconds with a few taps on your phone. They're obsessed with finding you ways to save money. They have zone deals where you pick the section in the seat and game time picks the seats for big time savings. And they have exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy theater, and more. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time right now. All game time users get a hundred dollars off a big game ticket with code Vegas 100. If you're a new user, you can download the game time app and use code locked on for $20 off your first tickets. But if you're trying to go to the big game in Vegas, you can use code Vegas100, terms to apply, download the game time app, and use code Vegas100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today for last-minute tickets. Lowest prices guaranteed. Alec Engel. And I know we, we referenced this already, but the Dolphins' two-back personnel on first and 10 is one of the defining variables of this offense. The challenge uh, for, for Alec Ingold is how else can we keep you involved beyond first and 10? Because Alec Ingold only played 413 snaps this year. That's less than he played last year by five snaps. And I understand Alec Ingold at, at one stage this season was in a walking boot during the week because he had a foot injury. And maybe that was something that, that contributed as well. But I watch Alec Ingold play, and yeah, he's a special teams dynamo. He took 120 snaps on special teams this season after 134 snaps on special teams last season. Like It's, it's another added variable and an area of impact. So in total, he's up over 500 snaps for the season. Uh, but offensively, I would love to find more for Alec Ingold. Uh, Alec Ingold this season, especially considering they, they gave him the contract extension that they did, and he has shown at times, to be very much up for these opportunities. Uh, he had a career low in rushes this season with two uh, for zero yards. And he had the lower of the two receiving outputs from a reception standpoint and a targets perspective uh, during his two years with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, with 13 receptions for 119 yards and no touchdowns, five of those 13 receptions going for first downs. Anytime you have a player, a, a player like Alec Ingold, who's a fullback, can line up in the backfield, but is also a pseudo tight end, can line up at wing. I think there's a lot of the ways that the Dolphins can and have used 
Durham Smythe, there's overlap. But the, I, I suppose the challenge is if Durham Smythe plays the volume of snaps that he plays and there's overlap, there's redundancy, which then in turn puts Ingold into a box. But if the Dolphins are going to become a more physical team, this is a player who has to have a critical role. Because Alec Ingold, in my mind, um, is a tone-setting player at the fullback position. I guess part of this um, challenge is the Dolphins are really only under center on first down one out of five, one out of four times. They're in shotgun 33% of the time and other, which classifies largely, I would assume, as pistol formation, which is still shotgun uh, 36% of the time on first down. But you consider where the Dolphins' runs hit. No team hit more of their runs outside in 2023. And you know this. You watch the tape. You watch the games. Then the Miami Dolphins. But how big was the discrepancy? 60% of their runs went around each respective end, the tight end or outside. 60%, the next highest total was the Kansas City Chiefs at 50%. You are 10% higher than the next highest outside run team. The gap between Miami and Kansas City in one to two for outside runs is the difference from two down to number 11. The Dolphins hit 18% of their runs in between the guards in 2023. And if you think about a fullback and what he can do to get into gaps inside and uproot linebackers and seal and be a tone-setting player or to come downhill and have him be the split-flow player or the backside seal, who cuts down the M in on the line of scrimmage, which you, you see him do a good job of when he's given those responsibilities. You're only hitting 18% of your runs north, which is tied with the Arizona Cardinals for the second lowest figure in football. The Atlanta Falcons were the only team with a lower percentage of their runs between the guards, 13%. And that's Arthur Smith's notorious wide zone uh, rushing offense. Second to lowest outside rushing, inside rushing volume, in the league. And here's here's the rub. Uh, the team at the top of the list with the most percentage of their runs, the Buffalo Bills, 48% of their runs this season hitting between the guards. They come at you. There's some teams with good balance, too. Pittsburgh, 43% of their runs downhill coming at you. Seattle. Notorious, and there, there's a player or two on that Seattle offense that's expiring contracts that I have my eyes on big time that are not marquee free agents, but would be free agents that are upgrades, including a player at the tight end position. More of that ahead, though. My point is this. Uh, the Dolphins also uh, bottom five in the league, 20% of their runs that hit the gap of the, the C gap of the offensive tackle, uh, tied with Buffalo and Kansas City or Buffalo and Kansas City at 17% and Jacksonville at 16%. So I say all this to say Alec Ingold's versatility, if it's going to get watered down by Durham Smythe, I think the next best phase for it to get activated 
is when you are running in the vertical run game as a fullback, right? It's traditional value of a fullback is leads and getting up on linebackers. They didn't do a lot of this at all. 38% of their runs coming A, B, and C gap this season, uh, according to NFELO app, which is a uh, one of the, the charting analytics uh, data tracking resources that is available out there. If you're interested in checking that up, it is nfeloapp.com. You can check it out for yourselves and kind of explore all this data as well. That is going to do it for us and our exploration into the tight end room, the individual players, the contributors, the ceilings, the floors, the areas for more. And all we're doing right now is, is isolating each individual variable. And then at the end, we're going to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and we're going to look at the resources that are available in the NFL draft and in free agency for the Dolphins to address these and try to assemble a path that makes the most sense to optimize the opportunity to get better. And we'll do it on both sides of the ball. I'm Kyle Krabs. That's my time here on Locked on Dolphins. I appreciate you guys checking out the show. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins because it is your team every day. Fins up. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. And I will be back again tomorrow to talk about the running backs.